drive to digitalize our communities is immense, but in a crowded market witnessing such rapid innovation, where are the most attractive opportunities to invest? The next stage of innovation comes and you need the smaller, more nimble players close to the customer to release the opportunity. I'm Ed Whittaker and a warm welcome to the podcast, the podcast from Patrizia, the leading partner in global real assets. With worldwide spending on the Internet of Things expected to reach $1.1 trillion this year, governments alone cannot pick up the bill. So what role is private capital playing in bridging the digital divide? And why is it the smaller mid-market players who are offering the most compelling investment case? These are the key questions we explore in episode 14 of the podcast as we look at the building blocks of our smart towns and cities, digital infrastructure. On the panel are Phoebe Smith, Senior Director at Patrizia Infrastructure, and Fakan Alamgir, CEO of Connexin, a portfolio company of Patrizia and a leading mid-market player in the digital infrastructure space. First, Phoebe explains why it is the more entrepreneurial mid-market companies who are driving so much value. What we love about the mid-market is the ability to work in partnership with people like Fakan and, and Connexin with truly entrepreneurial businesses to drive exactly that digitalization, making sure that we are taking advantage of opportunities as they arise and as the market t- continues to evolve. And it's those really, I guess, nimble players that are able to take advantage of those opportunities. Whereas if you're playing in the very large cap space, you're often much slower to react to those changes and, and opportunities within the market. You know, you see here in in the UK, there's a proliferation of smaller alt nets and they're taking advantage of that opportunity in the market. And not all of them will be successful, no doubt. So you have to pick the right players. But it creates a really interesting market dynamic that we now think that we're very well placed to take advantage of. I think that's a really good point. And I think from from our perspective, the smaller mid-market players can get closer to the customer and really understand the challenge. So when it comes to realizing what the pain points are to generate the value, we're closer to that front end and really understanding that customer to deliver that value to create that partnership and outcome. Um, I think that's really what differentiates us. And I think that's very similar to the market opportunity we've spotted in Spain with our recent acquisition of Localcom. Again, very local player, very close to the customer, really understanding what the needs of, of the local market are in a way that you can't if you're sitting only in a, in a capital city. And I guess when, when looking at the opportunities to invest at mid-market versus large cap, what does the digital infrastructure landscape look like and where do you think the most exciting opportunities for investment and growth are? You know, the advantage of the, the digital market right now is that it's obviously something driven by technology. So an ever-evolving market landscape driven by new opportunities, whether that be in fiber, in data centers, looking at at smart city opportunities. There are a wealth of of digital infrastructure opportunities, but we need to pick the right ones. There's a large number of opportunities, but selecting the right partners, the right opportunity that really takes advantage of, of that trend you see in the market, rather than just saying, oh, fiber's the latest thing, let's jump on the bandwagon. It's about selecting what is going to make someone successful within that burgeoning marketplace. And so taking Connexin as a good example, what we really liked about the business was the integrated ISP element, making sure that, again, you're coming back to the customer. How do we deliver for the end customer and make sure that 
we're delivering infrastructure that meets with those needs, but also then the IoT offering that Connexing can provide gives an additional element to the business and diversifies its, its offering away from simply an, an alt net provider. I think also looking forward, we're beginning to see opportunities in more of the, the distributed infrastructure, if you like. So things like edge data centers will start to move away from you know, one large data center to many small local data centers, which really plays into that mid-market thesis of being smaller opportunities and, and closer to your end customer. But again, that will be a matter of finding a business case that can support that new and emerging opportunity because there isn't a business case that necessarily uh, makes sense today, but how can you build on a platform that, that you've already established to start taking advantage of that opportunity? And those more nimble, smaller companies will be the best place to, to take advantage of it. If you take the, the UK, for example, is the digital infrastructure sector predominantly dominated by large cap companies in terms of obviously market share, they're going to have a much more significant portion, but is, the, is that gap you know, narrowing, are we starting to see a greater number of smaller, more entrepreneurial companies like Connexin pop up, which is starting to kind of slowly eat into that that market share that they've been dominating? I think that's probably right. Certainly in the, the fiber space where there's something like what, over a hundred alt nets today, not all of which will will be able to to exist forever. And certainly we're expecting that market consolidation to come into play quite quickly now. But yes, I think they are starting to eat into that market share of people like OpenReach, Virgin Media, or in Connexon's case in, in Hull, KCOM, where perhaps they've had quite a comfortable existence for a number of years that, that's really starting to be eaten into by these newer players. Exactly. And that happens in cycles, right? Like if you look at the UK market, you have the big, you know, innovation happens, then the growth starts to stop, and then you get the, the large companies that kind of stop innovating and then the next stage of innovation comes and you need the smaller more nimble players close to the customer to release the opportunity and we're seeing that now aren't we is that that's the stage of cycle that we're in and I think from a connection perspective what's really exciting is being at the forefront we're seeing and learning a lot in some of the deals that we're doing in in the smart city sector leveraging our learning of building fiber networks building those government relationships we're then learning about the government pain point and saying, oh, actually, what else can we leverage this infrastructure for that? And then that releases new business models and new investment opportunities that some of the larger cap players who are traditionally product focused don't see because they're just focused on, okay, we have an infrastructure. How do we sweat that asset and create more value out of that existing product? Whereas we're creating new products to tackle the customer problem by being closer to the customer. And I think it happens in phases, doesn't it? And we just happen to be at the right phase, right time. And um, there's a lot of learning as a result of that, creating these opportunities. And to, to accelerate growth in the industry, obviously, collaboration across the industry is obviously key. How can investors and their portfolio companies work together more effectively to drive maximum value and growth? And perhaps you can talk from your own individual perspectives about the Patrizia Connexin relationship and, and how it works. I think, you know, it's a, a question, something sort of very close to our hearts, if you like, that really we feel we work very well on that partnership basis. When you do see that investee and investee company relationship as a partnership and as something that where you're building value together. And I think, you know, 
our relationship is probably one of the, you know, great examples of that, where we have an excellent working relationship, where we collaborate and support each other, challenge each other, where there are problems or risks that the company needs to address, and both bringing out our strengths to the table, whether it's more of the the structure and the financial side from our side and you know, the real entrepreneurial business opportunity driven side from Fakan's side. And I think bringing those strengths together is where the magic can happen and really providing that, that support that enables the company to continue to grow. And a lot of that has to come from an alignment right at the get-go, you know, where are we trying to go? What are we trying to do? And then making sure there's that alignment of interests in the way any deal you do is, is structured so that we both win when the company wins. Lots of people talk about partnership, but there's actual partnerships and talking about partnerships and the relationship that we enjoy with Patrizia, Phoebe and, and, the, and the wider team is is one off. You know, we talk regularly, we have a shared view on what the business's mission is, the problems we're trying to solve, and we bring different things to the table that then we're able to release value out of. And I think it is true, you know, when you guys talk about partnerships, it actually is a partnership. And there's certain things that in business you you plan for, but you know, things happen a different way and having good partners around you to say, oh, actually, you know, we, we've learned from it this way previously. This is how we could do it. And Phoebe, why would you say it's more attractive or exciting to invest in a mid-market digital player like Connexin rather than, you know, a larger established large cap company? Mid-market investing across the piece, we find a more compelling investment opportunity given that ability to really get in and drive value and, you know, a bit like what we were just talking about in terms of the the partnership model, you are able to to enter into a company perhaps at, at that point in its journey, its scaling, its growth, that, that there really is value to be created together. Often that means acquiring businesses, you know, from founders or very early stage funding where moving into that you know, institutional funding that can really bring scale and stability and, and growth over time. I think there's n- nothing different, if you like, in, in the digital space that all of those things apply. And because it is such an exciting new and constantly evolving market sector that almost all of those things are amplified in, in digital investing. And so finding the way to pull on all those value drivers and be nimble with those new opportunities as they arise are what's really attractive about digital mid-market investing. So we know why innovation from mid-market players is crucial and why they present such an attractive investment opportunity. But what about the actual delivery of the underlying digital infrastructure that is a crucial part of building out smarter, digitally enabled communities? Fakan tells us about the work Connexin does as a provider of fibre networks and smart city solutions, and he explores the opportunities for installing new fibre networks in already built up towns and cities. The opportunities are endless because you're building the foundation for digitization. So everything moving forwards will depend on that infrastructure. So at Connexin, you know, we're driven by a mission statement. Our mission is to connect the digital world to the real world to improve the way we live. And if you look at what fiber enables you to do, it enables you to connect people to online content and systems and services and really drive that change for good. So in terms of the value release you get by owning this infrastructure, it's it's massive. In terms of the challenges, like 
any infrastructure project, you have lots of different stakeholders, right? So you have the customers who will value your service. You have the municipalities or the cities or the governments that will give you the permission to build these assets. And then you have the challenge in terms of an evolving market where when there's a gold rush, everyone's looking for up pickaxes. How do you find the right pickaxe as fast as possible to be the winners in the race? So I think what, what we've built within our team is a really good balance between those. We're really driven by our mission. Not, we're not just building infrastructure for the sake of building infrastructure. We're building infrastructure to improve lives. So that helps us start the other way around to say, okay, well, if we built a fiber network, what could we do with it? So rather than looking at a fiber network as, oh, it's something people use to browse the internet, we see it as a motorway. It's a high capacity pipe to deliver lots of information. And then we think about what use cases can be delivered against that and where is the future going? Now, if you look at the type of use cases for high capacity data, you've got CCTV and video, which is becoming big drivers for, for that capacity demand. You've got VR and the metaverse and all these other kind of 4D type applications coming out. So there will always be this constant demand for that. But then you also look at, okay, well, how, what other digitization opportunities exist? And in the world of IoT that I'm sure we'll be talking about later, it's about connecting something in the middle of a field that can't get power to it to find out how a water pipe may be functioning. And for that, we build a different kind of network with kind of low power requirements, low data outputs, a smaller pipe, almost like an A-road. So I think for us, there's challenges in building all kinds of infrastructure, but understanding why you're building them drives you to build the right kind in the first place and then focusing yourself on the delivery of them. And I think it's probably worth also mentioning the Connexon Academy as well. Yeah. That. We invested very early on in a digital academy to help skill up our own people from within. So we have our own engineers that are going through the academy with no digital skills, learning how to do a fiber drop, connect a customer, fix the network, service an IoT water sensor. And we're building that in-house to one, manage those market dynamics, but also build our wider government relationships to say, look, we're not just a business here to dig up all your roads and create disruption. We're here to invest with you, create the digital jobs of the future and leave you with kind of the machinery to extract constant value. So, you know, I've met with a, a leader in a, in a UK council about three weeks ago, and one of their things was, oh, we're getting all this information and insight, but how do we generate more value from that? Because they find it difficult to train and hire data scientists. Well, we've got Digital Academy. We can support you with that. And it's created a new partnership with the city where they're putting their people on our academy courses to learn how to interpret data to generate value for the city, which is amazing. Some people will think, oh, well, the fiber network, I may not need fiber. I'm happy with a dongle or something, but they don't realize that actually the NHS service that will look at your MRI scans before they fly out. So for example, we service the London Air Ambulance here and they have high speed connectivity from us. So whether you know it or not, that infrastructure is contributing to your life whether directly you being a consumer purchasing it or indirectly by servicing those kind of services. And as services continue to move online to manage population demand in, in our urban centers, you need digitization to manage you know, that growth. Absolutely. And Phoebe, just quickly, I want to touch on, you've obviously got experience investing in digital infrastructure in the US. Do you see similar challenges and opportunities in that market when it comes to 
providing the underlying infrastructure in built up areas or is it a slightly different market than the UK? There are always similarities and differences across across markets, but fundamentally, if you're digging up all the streets in a city, there are going to be challenges, whether that's on the permitting side or on the actual construction side, or you found something when you were digging that you didn't expect to, whether it's coming from your supply chain or you know making sure that you've got sufficient workforce to deliver. And it's just about knowing what those risks are and being prepared either up front or being able to be flexible enough that you can address them in new and innovative ways as they arise. And then the opportunity is is similar. You know, we've got cities worldwide who are facing that challenge of how can I deliver my services more efficiently and effectively? And you've got residents who are saying, I need better connectivity because those services are starting to be delivered online or because I need to be able to, you know, have a Teams call or watch a movie or start my online learning, whatever it is, there are extensive uses across every community and and we're seeing that, you know, around the world. So it's a matter of how can we deliver that infrastructure that is sort of future-proofed for that ongoing increasing demand for data. So I'm keen to delve slightly into the term smart city here and, and just to get your views on whether there is a risk it's becoming kind of overused, which somewhat you know dilates its its meaning and it could potentially become kind of marketing speak. Perhaps for kind of from your perspective, how should we go about developing kind of true smart city solutions? And you know, what I guess is your kind of definition of, of a smart city from Connexon's perspective? That's a really big question, isn't it? Because um, you do hear it. It's a lot of marketing speak. Everyone talks about smart cities and, and you know, but what does it actually deliver? So it comes back to what is the purpose of what we're doing? And if you look at, from, from our perspective, a smart, well, we call them smart connected communities or places now, because it's not just about cities, it's also about other environments. But really, to me, a smarter place is a connected place where you can get real-time feedback and program it. So when we talk about our infrastructure, we call it digital programmable infrastructure. So you can either lay a fiber cable and connect point A to point B, or you can put software on it and start learning more things about what the fiber can do. For example, now fiber is going through water networks, through the vibration, you can detect leaks. You know, that's a smart digital infrastructure project, if that makes sense. So what we're trying to do in our mission to build smarter communities is really understand that feedback loop and generate value back. So using water as an example, a very easy solution would be to put smart meters in and build people without sending people to the houses to check the meters. Or a smarter solution would be to then process that information into a software platform and start understanding trends and predicting leaks and then leveraging that to fix infrastructure in a more intelligent way. So same budgets, bigger outcomes, leveraging technology. So that, those are the type of models and systems that we're trying to create. So when we're working with cities, it's not just about, oh, do you know, this box has 10 lights and when you switch it on, you'll be a smart city. No, it's, it's about understanding what are their problems? You know, is it social housing? Well, how can we better maintain social housing for you using technology to either manage energy distribution, heat distribution, connectivity as a service for people learning at home? and create kind of meaningful outcomes. So it's not just about 
saying a city is smart because it's, it's got slightly faster internet. It's about delivering economic outcomes and political outcomes on the basis of using technology. Obviously, technology and infrastructure are, are critical for addressing some of the challenges around uh, or associated with the global megatrends we're seeing. How can smart city solutions support global efforts to decarbonize and perhaps put our communities on the path to net zero, as well as address some of the challenges around kind of increased urbanization? Yeah, and I think that's a good point because it's not how can they, it's they are a necessity to do it. How else would you enable that kind of change and improvement with, you know, all the stats say 80% more people are going to be living in cities and there's going to be a bigger demand on similar resources as the population growth is kind of just skyrocketing in, in our major urban hubs. How else would you do it? So if, for example, you look at some of the digital technologies that we're using in Sheffield, we worked with an organization called Amy and we put sensors into waste bins that their original use case was around just understanding which ones are full when. But as we did this, we started learning and we started understanding trends. And you can start then to predict and say, well, actually, even on a Thursday, whilst this bin may be a third full, on Saturdays, it overfills. So on a Thursday, empty it, even at a third. And then what that means is less truck rolls, you know, lower carbon footprint for them. They can understand where to invest their money. Do we need to have eight teams working eight days or can we reuse those people to do things more effectively? So I think there's a few key technologies around smart lighting that have a direct measurable impact, smart waste in water with leakage. And there's a lot of this kind of indirect impact, like during COVID, our bin sensors in cities helped you understand footfall count. Now, would anybody have thought that that would be a use case or a driver? But we were able to understand how many people had been down a street based on fill levels from historical data. And the digitization will enable some of these use cases that people can't think of today. But where it gets really cool is when everything is connected with networks and these digital infrastructure technologies, you can make things talk to one another. So for example, a street light can flash if it detects crime going on in an area through image recognition. Or if there's someone who is less abled boarding a bus and have accessibility enabled on their iPhone, that can be communicated to a bus driver. So you can start to do the impossible because everything can talk to itself and to each other, which is entirely, you know, our driver's mission statement is connect the real world to the digital world to improve lives. And being at the forefront of that, we're seeing a lot of the novel use cases that give us then again that investment opportunity to say, hey, we see real growth in this space. This is what we're seeing. This is what the customers are doing and gives us that competitive edge. And I think it's really what we love so much about smart cities and, and why we have a, a dedicated smart cities fund is because we see the huge benefits across the sustainability challenge and also to meeting those those global megatrends that, that you were referring to. So something might, on the face of it, save money and save carbon emissions and so help the, the city themselves with decarbonisation. So taking the the smart waste solution as a, as a good example helps the city, helps net zero, but it also helps people living in that city that suddenly they're not dealing with that overflowing rubbish bin on a Saturday morning when they get up and they think, oh, this is disgusting. I don't want to live in a place that's this dirty and you know attracts rats or, or whatever the problem is. And so you're seeing that improvement in way of life in sort of social outcomes 
from these solutions that also meet with the environmental challenge. And you can approach this in, you know, a raft of, of different ways. In Hull, we've started with with the fibre network and, and building LoRaWAN networks for our smart water solution. But in, in Italy, we've approached it from a smart street lighting perspective. So that is your initial network across the city that provides you that connectivity that you need to then add other solutions. It has an energy saving benefit on, on day one from the conversion to LED lighting. And then you can also add further capabilities depending on the needs of the particular city. So is it that they'd like air quality sensors at the top of some of those, those street lights? Is it that they need EV chargers to be in every third lamppost? And the number of solutions is, is almost endless. Streetlights are such an underutilized asset, don't you think? Like they're everywhere. There's power to them all. So much you could do with streetlights. Actually, over the last, you know, over the last six to eight months, we've been working very regionally across the UK, just signing loads of contracts to share streetlights with councils because you can just do so much with them, can't you, in terms of enabling wireless connectivity, smart metering, waste pin centering. They're the perfect asset for a physical asset with power to it, with some height to enable great outcomes. People don't realize I walk past a streetlight. I'm like, love it. (laughs) It's weird. My, like my kids, my, my daughter said to me, when I miss you, I look at these things. I remember you bring YouTube to kids at home. So she sees the cables and streetlights and we're walking, looking at manhole covers and there's a lot of value to these physical assets that people don't realize that having a manhole where you can put a Wi-Fi access point is valuable. And even today, you don't need power to your streetlights yeah. because you can add even like small scale solar to the top of a lamppost if it's in a particularly hard to reach area. So there's becoming through the use of technology ways of you know really creating value use case on use case from a base layer of infrastructure and and that's what really excites us about smart cities is that ability to start with perhaps fiber or, or street lighting and make, really make it smart, really make it the infrastructure of the future. And is it easy to, to kind of retrofit that old legacy physical infrastructure that there is with new technology or new applications? That's exactly what we're doing, right? So it depends on the out, uh, the solution. Yeah. But in, in the majority of cases, like if you look at a business like Connexin, we are one of the leading providers for smart water metering now in the UK, you know, competing against large cap players and established players in the market. How have we come in and done that? It's through our understanding of that customer. And if you understand technology and have the right teams, the relative cost of developing these solutions isn't astronomical. But you know, you need partners like Patrizia then to take that scale and support you to deliver that on a regional or national level. And I think we're having a lot of success in that space, aren't we? Doing these small regional deployments, learning from them, developing business models and rescaling them on on a large scale. Great. And I guess finally to kind of looking at the wider economic impact, looking more holistically at the impact of investing in digital infrastructure. What are some of the wider social, economic, and perhaps cultural benefits that are delivered to communities? They're huge, aren't they? It's, you literally are building the infrastructure of the future that our kind of next stage of evolution as a species is on. So if you look at, for example, health going online during COVID, if you wanted to see a GP, you would need an internet connection. How does that then evolve? In a previous life, I saw a robot operating on people, which is absolutely insane. But you can, with high-speed connectivity, 
get the best surgeon from one part of the world who doesn't then have to fly to do a surgery on you on another part of the world. But what we, this is what's really exciting about what we're doing, isn't it, is, is investing in digital infrastructure. You're enabling the things we know today as well as carrying all of these use cases in the future. So you've got your direct economic kind of measures that we, you know, we can talk about in, in the smart city space and the, the smart places space where we're reducing truck rollouts, reducing carbon emissions, using energy more effectively, training and developing new skills, investing locally, being kind of regional businesses. And then kind of the indirect impacts of all of that, once you connect, for example, an air quality sensor to our uh, Connexin OS platform, we enable developers to develop on that. And there are use cases like if the air quality is poor and you suffer asthma, it will text you to say air quality is poor. You should be aware because you're in a mid-risk to high-risk category. And what's the impact of that? That could mean a bed saved you know, for the NHS here in the UK in the winter because it hasn't exacerbated your asthma at a period of time. So th th there's all these immeasurable impacts that we're going to start seeing. And actually, you know, we, we track quite a bit of this, don't we, within Connexin internally through our kind of work through ESG and the committee that we have around that. But we're going to start seeing things that even we didn't expect that we're impacting through the digital infrastructure, which is, which is super exciting. And I think it's worth, you know, also talking about perhaps the rural digital rollouts that we're doing under the government's rural gigabit voucher scheme that are bringing connectivity to currently underserved areas of the country where, you know, today they're likely to have no or very poor internet connectivity and it changes their ability to participate in the economy, in their social life, in everything around them because they then have, you know, the ability to dial into a, a telehealth appointment the ability to take a team's call from home and not have to move to a capital city, you know, and there are such wide benefits from even that that simple fact of having the connectivity in the first place, let alone before we add all the exciting smart capabilities that Furkan is talking about. There was an MP I spoke to and he said something to me that just kind of blew my mind. And it, sometimes, you know, you lose sense of reality and, and you forget the type of things that we enable through internet connectivity, right, is they had measurable numbers against people who buy car insurance online typically save £400 versus someone who doesn't have internet access to banking online, to getting a credit card deal, to this and that. There's so many, you're so disadvantaged if you do not have that digital enablement or connectivity in your life on all these things that we take for granted where we do have that connectivity. And, you know, for me, that was a bit of an eye-opener to say, oh, wow, did realize that we were doing we, all of this additional stuff because companies have chosen to not, you can see all the banks shutting their high street stores now to go online. So if you're in a rural area and you're contributing to the agricultural you know, economy, you're at a disadvantage because you can't get the same deals that we can get online without the good connectivity. And for me, that was a bit of a wake-up to say, wow, this really is a key fundamental part of our lives, the same as water power these days. And it is something that's gonna enable some amazing things in the next five years, I think. Thanks to our guests, Phoebe and Fakan, and thanks to you for listening. I'm Ed Whitaker, and you've been listening to the podcast from Patricia. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And don't forget to head over to our website, patrizia.ag, to find out more. Stay safe and healthy until next time. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.